Blog Talk Radio. Interviewing your favorite musicians, comedians, and other creative souls. This is the Carrie Edelman Show. Hey everyone, and welcome to the Carrie Edelman Show. I am extremely excited tonight as we have the singer-songwriter Chris Brown from the modern hard rock band One One Less Reason. Sorry about that. Joining us tonight, so it's going to be a great interview with him. We're going to take you on a really nice long journey about his musical career and experiences in the music industry, as well as promote his new album. And I will do a nice introduction in a minute for him. Um, he's going to be one of the many bands that I've had an honor and pleasure of interviewing on my show, which include bands like Tremonti, Trivium, Sick Puppies, Lacey Sturm, Sons of Texas, Red Sun Rising, and Shaman's Harvest, to name a few. So please check out the podcast for these bands. I really will take you on an interesting journey and interview. And really, you'll learn a lot about these uh, bands' musical experiences and, and their life story, so to speak. I really like to incorporate a lot of different elements that other interviewers do not necessarily do. So before I bring them on, a little bit about my show. I created this show because I really wanted to bring a forum together where I could bring entertainers on in the industry. I primarily interview musicians and comedians, but I've also done some filmmakers and uh, some entrepreneurs because I really wanted to be able to support people. Uh, Personally, I know how challenging and difficult it can be, especially when you're doing everything on your own. So with a background in uh, clinical psychology, that's what my doctorate degree is in, and my passion for the entertainment industry, I wanted to create this forum to support people. Um, Although I mentioned I have a background in psychology, my show is purely meant for entertainment purposes. Uh, We do do some educational stuff on my show sometimes, but this is not any type of a show where I do any type of formal therapy or anything like that. So if you're tuning in tonight, please create a Blog Talk Radio account by going to blogtalkradio.com. And if you want to call in tonight, the number is 805-243-1320. I also have a chat room open, but because I am a one-person show, um, maybe during the breaks when I play some songs to uh, feature some of the music off their album, I'll go into the chat room and uh, see if people have any questions. But again, feel free to also call in tonight. So let's do a great introduction for Chris and his band, and then we'll bring him on. So as I mentioned, uh, they are a modern hard rock brand, one less reason. And he's originating from Jackson, Tennessee. Um, he really writes melodic hard rock music and definitely has an element of soul to his music. The, meaning, the lyrics are definitely deep, thought-provoking, and meaningful. And you really, you can see how much effort and, you know, passion he puts into his songs. The band formed actually over a decade ago, and... He's been signed to both indie labels, major labels, um, releasing half a dozen albums. However, over the course of his career, I could really see from doing my research on Chris and the band that he's really shown what hard work, dedication, and perseverance is all about when it comes to managing a band pretty much independently right now because he decided to, it looks like, transition away from, you know, working with major labels and actually uh, created his own label, that he co-owns with, um, we'll talk about it tonight, John Falls, which is titled Tattooed Millionaire, really cool name. And tonight we're going to promote his amazing new album. It is titled The Memories Uninvited, and it's a full-length album. It features, I can't even tell you how many great songs off of it. Um, I'll talk about some of my personal favorites later, but one of the ones that's in rotation now is Break Me. So check it out, pick up a copy of his album, and also be sure to check him on tour this fall with the band Sick Puppies and Through Fire. 
And lastly, I definitely want to give a special thanks to Ed Bunker from No Problem Marketing for coordinating this interview. It was a pleasure working with him, and I really appreciate all the support that he's given to the interview, too, by promoting it all over social media. So thanks for that, Ed. Okay, so without further ado, let's bring Chris on. Hey, Chris, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you? Good, good. Thanks for joining me tonight. Yeah, thanks for having me. Cool, cool. So let's do this. I always like to start out, and you can also, you know, direct the interview in whatever direction you want to take it in. But I always like to start from the beginning and really get to know you as a person from what you were like as a little kid to kind of build the momentum to how you got involved in music. So, you know, if you can start out, tell us a little bit about, did you grow up in Jackson, Tennessee? Is that where you're from? I'm originally from Kennett, Missouri. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. You know, well, uh, that's that's kind of, you know, where I grew up, you know, as a child okay. and whatnot. And um, which is, you know, hometown of like Sheryl Crow and, you know, tons of musicians have come from that area. Um, I think mostly because there's really nothing to do. Okay. So <laughs> okay. You have to, uh, <laughs> it's pretty much all cotton and watermelon fields. So you pretty much got to uh, find things uh, to ocup- occupy your time. And, um I remember at a young age, my dad played me um, Frampton Comes Alive record. And I remember the song, Do You Feel Like We Do? That song did something to me that made me want to play music. I wanted to do that, you know? Okay. This was like, I was like six years old, maybe, or so, when when, when this happened. And uh, so I started getting my, you know, like, cut-out guitars, and, you know, my granddad would cut me, uh, you know, guitars out of plywood. You know, and I would just pretty much just uh, act like I was playing you know, nice. these these things. And then uh, I remember uh, going, I was around nine or so, eight or nine, and I went with a friend and his parents to go see the Dr. Feelgood tour, Motley Crue. And about 30 seconds into uh, into uh, Kickstart My Heart, which was the opening song, I remember thinking, well, I'm not going to be a doctor. I'm not going to be a lawyer. This is the only thing that this is the only thing that interests me in any way whatsoever, or that I feel emotionally attached to, or has any right. kind of emotion about me whatsoever, or passion. You know, so and that that was that was it for me. That was okay. I mean, so know. that's you're really young. I mean, nine years old to figure out. You know, kind of this is your destiny. This is what you want to focus your your life and your career on. And just, you know, just reflecting back a little bit, I like to tie in just if it was any other things, you know, I know you said Missouri was kind of barren, so to speak, there wasn't much to do, you know, as a kid growing up outside of the music before you started to hear the, you know, your dad playing the music and you getting interested in it. Was there anything else? I mean, did you play outside with your friends? Were you into sports or anything? Did you like to watch TV? Yeah, I mean, baseball was, baseball was kind of a thing. My dad was a, uh, a semi-pro, uh, I can believe it or not, a semi-pro softball player, which wow. people don't realize is an actual thing. But uh, you know, he, you know, he, he was always playing, playing ball. Uh, so you know, he had us, and he had me and my brother in the kitchen when we were, you know, three and five, with wiffle balls and bats, you know, learning how to play, you know, how to play ball. So that that was definitely one of the things that that you know, kind of, through my whole life, up to sixteen, seventeen, eighteen years old. Every summer it was it was it was baseball, you know, nonsense. Nice, nice. Baseball and music. 
Baseball music. Cool. And if you don't mind me asking why you were talking about your dad a little bit and him, you know, inspiring you to play baseball and definitely having a huge influence on you being interested in music, was he involved in any type of music? Um, no, he was, uh, it was kind of cool because my dad kind of, uh, whenever I would do something in music, it wasn't, it was never, look what Chris is doing in music. It was more along the lines of look what we're going to go do. You know, it was it was a we thing, and him and I, we we would travel together. I mean, this was you know, I was already a traveling musician before I could even get a driver's license. Uh, wow. you know, I was already playing. In a, I was already playing in a band with with older musicians, you know, uh, because I took guitar very seriously, and so we were traveling across the country doing shows and whatnot. And then uh, it was kind of cool because later in life, one less reason, he actually went out on tour with us. You know, and he was kind of my merch guy, and and so many people, everybody called him Pops, and uh, I, even even to even to this day, I have people come in going, man, sure miss your Pops, and also because he he really did, he made a lot of friends along the way. That's cool. That's cool. It sounds like he was definitely really supportive of you and your career, and oh, yeah. and from what I read, he was um someone who inspired you, right, to put Rainmaker. Was it him that inspired you to put that on yes. this album? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I wrote Rainmaker when I was 17 years old. Yeah, it was crazy and, to read uh, that. Every record that I've put out, he's like, man, you got to put Rainmaker on there. You got to put Rainmaker on there, and I never did. And then he passed oh. away around two years ago. And so I went ahead and I put it on this record kind of, you know, just as a as a tribute to him. So Nice. I'm sorry about the passing of him, but that's definitely something that's memorable that you put on the album. So that's really cool. What did your um, sure. what did your dad do for a living, if you don't mind me asking? Um, my dad did. My dad was a was a. I guess a lot of people would call him a strange man because he cared nothing about material things. Okay. Um, so he would he would do he he did a lot of uh, work outside as far as he was a greenskeeper for a while, and uh, you know he he just did he did whatever he didn't care whatever he needed to. It wasn't. Yeah, he he just really did not care anything about material things. He like he I mean he always lived vicariously through me like you know, when I whenever I would, you know, buy nice things, he'd be like, Man, you gotta see what Chris bought. You know, but <laughs> himself Right. Himself, he like like now I drive a Rolls Royce. If he knew now that I was driving a Rolls Royce, he would probably <laughs> he he'd probably slap me and be like, You're driving a three hundred thousand dollar car you know what I mean? He'd probably slap you know, slap me across the face for spending that kind of money on a car. But right. at the same at the same time he would make sure that all of his friends knew that I drove a Rolls Royce, even though that was something he would never want for himself. Right. right. Very cool. What's what color is your Rolls Royce? I have a uh, black ghost with a silver hood. Wow. Nice, sweet. <laughs> Very cool. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned, too, that you had, and then we'll get more into your music and, and how you start to really get entrenched in it. You also have a brother. Do you have any other siblings besides the brother? Nope. I have one brother. I have uh, okay. one older brother. He's two, two years older than me. Okay. And, and what is he, what's his life like? What does he do for a living? <laughs> well, um, he... If you don't, um, again, if you don't feel comfortable answering something, just no, no, it, by all fine. means, I'm more it, than willing it, to, you know, move on. <laughs> He played he played bass for the band for uh Faces of Four Letter Word. Uh, okay, cool. record cycle. And then um 
he has a green thumb, so he moves to one of these legal states, and he owns a business uh, um, uh, supplying uh, medical marijuana to to companies that sell it. Wow. Okay. Interesting. Very yeah. interesting. Okay. So okay. So let's we'll we'll get back on track a little bit. But thanks for sharing some of that stuff. <laughs> I really like to kind of you know just bring in some interesting stuff about the artists I have on my show, and not just ask you know cookie cutter questions. Make it interesting. Yeah. So okay. So nine years old, like you said, you go to the show. You're really entrenched in kind of this is what you want to do. So. You know, start to take us a little bit. You're going to school, of course. I mean, you're a little kid. Yes. Was school something you liked to do, or were you not kind of someone who wanted no, to kind of be studying? I, I always felt it, it was always I would, I would sit there and I would go, "This is going to do me no good." It all, <laughs> it all came so it came so easily to me that it really just that I didn't care. Oh wow! You know what I mean? And, and to the point of, like, I was just, I don't know, I guess I was just a, a bad student and the fact that I just didn't care to listen because I had already mapped out what I wanted to do and what I wanted to be. Okay. And, and you know, science class just didn't do much for me. You know what I mean? It just wasn't something that interested me in any way whatsoever. So first chance I got to get out of Kennet, I took it. Okay. So did you did you end up did you end up dropping out of school or did you graduate? No. And then... No. I graduated and then uh you know, it was just uh you know I, you know, college and whatnot, that was kind of you know, I was kinda of, you know, into that for a minute and then it's just kinda of like you know, you know, after you've done it for so long music, you start second guessing yourself, like, is this really a career? Is right. this really you know what I mean? Because you know, yeah. you don't know. This this is the one job that you can put ten years of your life into it and get nothing out of. It. Where uh-huh. if you go to school for ten years, if you go to school for ten years and get your your doctors or whatever it is, you know, you at least have something that right. is a viable plan for the rest of your life. In this right. business, you can go do it for ten years and, and just have nothing but where you started. You I've, Chris, it's, it's, it's I can emphasize. I've met, yeah, I mean, from all the interviews I've done and just people I've met over the years, yeah, I mean, I've met many people in that boat, and it's just, it's mind-blowing because, you know, from a lay person sometimes on the outside, the perspective is, you know, you're opening for, like, you know, you guys are opening for fuel and seether and this and that, and you get this kind of, you know, perception that you're this huge touring band, and not that you're not, but like you said, sometimes at the end of the day, you owe money to the labels, you owe, you know what I mean, money to management, and it's all like an illusion sometimes, and it's a shame because it, it, it really is. Your... You know, I, I would go out and tour with a lot, with some of these bands, these bands that were really, really moving a lot of product and really big as far as the perception of how big they were, and they were really that big. But the deals that they had signed were so bad that I remember right. coming off tour, and I'm not, I'm not going to say the band's name. No, no, I'm no. Not, I remember no. coming. <laughs> off, I remember coming off tour, and this band that had sold you know a million plus records. Nobody in the band even owned a car, and I was like, "Right, there's something wrong here." Right. Exactly. I've seen you. I've seen you on MTV. I've seen you, you know, on the late night TV shows, and you don't even own a car. Mm. And and it's a sad thing that the music business has become that, and it really does make you start second guessing yourself. But my thing is, is my perception of success was different than what most people's perception of success is. I don't care about being a rock star. 
I don't right. care about being famous. I don't care. I care about putting out music that I like to put out and how big my bank account is. That's what I care right. about. And the fact that my family, my family doesn't have to worry about money. That's what I care about. That's the music business to me. The rest right. of it, I could not care. I don't care if I never sign another autograph or take another picture or, you know, I don't care about any of that stuff. That's, right. that's not what I got right. in this for. I got in this to make music, and music is my business. And if I'm in business, business is to make money. You know, I mean, you try to separate the two, the artistic integrity, but you also, if, if anybody tells you, well, it's just all about the art. Well, right. you better get ready, to have a, get ready to have a day job because it's not just about the art. You better have a plan of what you're going to do to make money or else you're going to be mm-hmm. an artist for two hours a week that you actually get off of from your actual full-time job. Right, right. Wow. So that's because I definitely want to talk about more of, you know, it was very interesting just to read some of the articles about you talking about the industry and, and you know, the experiences that you, you've had. So let's go back to, like you said, nine years old. So how old were you when you actually start to, like you said, go out on the road? Because you said you weren't even, you know, of legal age, so to speak. Yeah, I was, um, I guess I had started playing guitar around nine, nine years old, somewhere between six and nine, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and it 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 kind of uh, just encompassed everything about me. I I dove in all the way, and I was into like really really like technical. You know, I was 13 years old, and I could play you know Ingrid Malmsteen songs. You know, but back then wow. you didn't have social media. You didn't have social media, so nobody would know. You know that there was a 13 year old sure. kid I guess that could do this. So I ended up getting in with this band. The band was mostly like 30 year old men. And I learned a lot from them because I, I learned how to, like, you know, from these older guys, I learned how to, like, put songs together. I learned how riffing went and how, you know, bridges and choruses and pre-choruses and all of these things worked. So I was 13, 14, 15 years old, and I was playing in these bands that were traveling around, you know, doing shows. And, you know, a lot of the shows were in bars and, like, clubs and this and that. So I had to have, of course, a legal guardian with me. So me and my dad would just get in the car and we would go. And uh, mm-hmm. that's what we would do, you know. That's what we would do on the weekends and through the summer. We would go play shows with, with this band. And so, uh, you know, and I learned a lot. I learned a whole bunch just from being around older musicians that understood things that I did at that young age. I knew how to yeah. play a guitar lead. I knew how it all worked together. I just didn't know anything about songwriting at the time. And I learned a, I learned a, a hell of a lot about songwriting from these older guys. That's cool. That's really cool. Did um, when you were learning about this stuff in, in guitar, did you pretty much teach yourself, Chris, or did you take some formal lessons as a kid? <laughs> I was the weirdo kid that would. Right. Uh, we had a place called we had a place in Kennet called Ken's Pawn Shop, and he had these videos that he would rent. It's like learn how to play guitar like Randy Rose, learn how to play guitar like Steve Vai, and I would rent these videos, and I would literally sit at home all weekend. And and just go over these videos and meticulously study these these, these you know and and you know that that's all that's all I would do that's all I was interested in I didn't care about I didn't care about going out and partying and and you know doing this and that you know and doing I guess what most I guess what you would call normal teenage kids do right it just never it never interested me I, I was already I was already planning ahead of what where I was wanting to go. You know, once Very I was cool. old enough to 
Yeah, it sounds like it sounds like you were kind of a little bit mature beyond your years, so to speak, kind of like that, you know, that old soul that they sometimes call people who, you know, know what they want to oh, do yeah. and just have that kind of mentality already set. Yeah, I, I heard that a lot as a as a young. Kid. Did you? Nice. Yes, I heard that a nice. lot. You know, I was definitely an old an old guitar player in a young guy's body. That's for sure. Right, <laughs> and as a, and as a kid, when you're playing with these thirty years old thirty year olds, you know what were some of the bands back then that that were inspiring you? And I know you talk a lot about you know you kind of write your music because you write what you feel. It's not like you're trying to mimic anyone, and I don't want to say that by any means. But you know what were some of the bands back then that were at least you know back an inspiration? Then, yeah, I was into I was into really really heavy technical music. I was really into a band called Tourniquet. Okay. Um, a thrash metal band out of California called The Crucified. Um, I was interested in, you know, all all these shredders. You know, I was just really interested that with the the more technical the music, the better. Um, you know, I and and I, I took that all the way up to being eighteen, nineteen years old. But I'm not gonna lie, I got to a point where it was all really starting to bore me. Mm-hmm. All of it was, and I was really getting burned out on it. And uh, at the time, I had, I had a day job, and uh, my brother, um, my brother had had put out a, a cassette tape, and I grabbed it up to go to work, thinking that it was a tourniquet record. And when I got to work, I realized this was '95, '94, something like that. I got to work, and it's it's Matchbox 20's first record, yourself or something. Wow. <laughs> cool. And I'm like, I'm like, ugh. God, I hate this, blah, blah, blah. And then I started listening to it. I started listening to, you know, the first song I heard by it was uh, a song called Long Day, and the opening lyric is, uh, it's sitting by the overcoat, the second shelf, the notes she wrote that I can't bring myself to throw away. And I remember thinking, holy crap, what a profound statement. And I just mm-hmm. started listening to how this guy would put together words that, that really, really struck a chord with me in a heavy way, even though the music was pretty much just three chords just three chords and some honest lyrics. And mm-hmm. that day, that day really changed my life because it really started moving me towards singers and songwriters, which, right. you know, was definitely, you know, we're a rock band, but at the end of the day, all of our songs can be broken down to a singer songwriter, just a guitar and a, and a vocal, you know, absolutely. And that's how, that's how they're written. That's how they're written. So, you know, that started moving me towards like, okay, well, I'm really, really bored with all of this technical, really heavy stuff. So I'm going to try to dive into this, try to take a minimalistic view, you know, try to take a minimalistic view mm-hmm. on, on songwriting yeah. and see what happens. And that was the hardest thing I've ever done. That was even harder than learning how to play the technical crazy stuff. Right. You know, right. was actually stopping and going, okay, I'm going to write a song that's in G, D, and C. That's it. I'm not going to use any of the chords in G, D, and C, and I'm going to try to make it interesting about what I'm saying and the vocals more so than, you know, how fast I can play or or what kind of arpeggios or, you know, mm-hmm. string skipping or whatever it is. So, I mean, that, that really did change everything for me. That's that cool. one day. That one day, yeah. Thank you, thank your brother for that. And what were you? Uh, so you're driving to work with this cassette, this Matchbox Twenty. Where were you? What were you doing for work at the time? <laughs> I worked on a maintenance crew at a shipyard. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. 
Okay, so cool. So let's now transition, I guess, the Matchbox 20 stuff. When do you know you start one last reason in around what? 2003, is that when you start the band? Well, we started as I moved I moved to Dyersburg, Tennessee, which is, you know, uh, I moved into Tennessee and then I met a I met a guy named Vic Williamson who was a guitar player in Dyersburg and we ended up with he was playing in this other band and like, you know, I was totally not interested in joining somebody else's band. I wanted to start my own thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we ended up still on the bass player from this other band and then getting a drummer, and we started a band called Lapdog, which was okay. very, which, you know, because I was already kind of versed on heavy music, we went ahead and just started the heavy stuff, just da 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 you know, screaming and right. so forth. <laughs> right. So we did that all the way up to 2002, I think, and we went to work with a, 2002, 2003, somewhere in there. We went to work with uh, a guy named Rick Diotto out of Atlanta, Georgia. And I had been noodling around and, like, singing stuff, you know, in the the little practice room that we were in in pre-production. And uh, he was like, okay, guys, let's just do this. Play me a song. You know, and he had heard me in pre-production singing and, and whatnot. We, we we kicked into these heavy screaming songs, and he stopped us about a quarter into the first song, and he said, "What the hell are you doing?" <laughs> I was like, "These these are our songs." And he was like, "Dude, you can sing. Why are you puking your guts out into the microphone?" Right. I like, I don't know. This is what we do. He's like, "Nope." He's he's like, "Look at me," and he's like, "He said he said, do you want to be able to pay your bills this time next year playing this?" I said, "Well, that would be fantastic." <laughs> just just listen to me. You gotta sing. You got a fantastic voice. You gotta sing, Chris. You know, and if anybody else doesn't like it, get rid of it. So we we, okay. we spend the next week and a half with him and we recorded Favorite Color, Snow Angels, Slide of Hand and Worthless. And when we came okay. out we did not sound like Lap Dog anymore. So that's where the name change came from. Okay. And how did you guys come up with one less reason? What was the uh you know, it was meaning or story behind that. One last reason was we, we went home and we had a, kind of a fan base around the town that we were around Jackson, Tennessee. And uh, there was a lot of people that were pissed off when they heard the new music because mm-hmm. it was so light. It wasn't screaming and it wasn't this and it wasn't that. And uh, it was one less reason to be what they wanted us to be. Mm-hmm. You know, cool. we, we didn't, we, we didn't want to be what they wanted us to be. We wanted to be our own thing. Got you. Definitely. Definitely. And that's hard. That's hard. You have a fan base, like you said, that are used to a certain style and sound you were doing, and now you're making a digression and going in a different direction. And yeah, definitely. Exactly. So let's do this. Let's talk a little bit about, so you signed to Universal. So One Less Reason comes about. And how long, is that the first label that you guys signed with? Yes. Universal was the first, um, was the first record label we signed with. Okay. In 2003, 2004, mm-hmm. I can't remember, it's been so long ago. And um, we went in and we were, you know, we got the deal and they went, we went in and re-recorded some songs. And uh, we ended up doing five songs or six songs right off the bat. And they went to radio with us with our song, Favorite Color, which was doing really, really well at radio, which I don't think they expected. Mm-hmm. Um, it was it was most added a couple of months in a row across the country. 
cool. And then uh, uh, we started, these, these program directors started going, okay, look, you know, we need to know that there's a record coming out because we want to we move this into heavy rotation. And then Universal kind of just comes clean and goes, look, we spent all of our rock budget on this other band. I'm not going to name the band. And it didn't do anything, so we're, we're out of money until the new year comes in. So you can either wait around for the new year, you can wait around for the new year, or you can you can, you can take your masters, not owe us anything, and walk away. And I couldn't wow. wait around for the new. Year. So we walked away. At that point, everybody in my band bailed on me. Oh, so gosh. I was like, okay, well. And then all everybody around me was like, look, dude, you gotta you gotta move on from this one less reason thing. It's over. There's nothing you can do about it. It's over. Fresh, you uh, were just starting. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, you were just beginning. How is it over? <laughs> I, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't know. So I wanted. I wanted to find out. So um, a friend of mine named Heather Boxen, she 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 loaned me five thousand dollars because okay. I had spent all the universal money. She loaned me five thousand dollars. Her and another friend, um, they loaned me the money to go to Orlando to work with a guy named Justin Thomas to uh, finish the record. And we went in and we did five more songs over over a two-week period. Mm-hmm. And when I came back, we had, with the Universal recordings and with the recordings I did in Orlando, we had what would be Everyday Life, which was our first record. Cool. Okay. So I, I got, I had enough money to press, you know, however many copies I could press at the time. And we launched onelessreason.com. And I guess because of the radio play that was behind it, we ended up crashing the servers when wow. we launched it. And then the day the day that we put the record up for sale, I sold 3,300 units of Everyday Life. That's I didn't crazy. even have 3,300 units printed. I had like 400. So oh, my gosh. We would, have, we would have in my house, we would have these things we called mailing parties. And mm-hmm. I would literally just invite, invite over fans and friends and girlfriends and, you know, all these people that were around us at the time, I would invite them over. And we would we would literally sit there. We would barbecue and have drinks and mail CDs for 12-hour sessions. And wow, that's we crazy. Would them, we would put them in these huge 40-gallon black drums, you know, the, the black trash bags. Mm-hmm. And we would take them to the post office. <laughs> and... They let me do that twice, and then they were like, look, don't ever come back in here again. You need to figure out something else. Right. You know, yeah, because we were mailing, you know, five, six hundred. Yeah, it's five, six hundred, you know, units at a time with different, everyone had different uh, zip codes. Right. Oh, gosh. Thinking about that now, that just seems like hell, but at the time it was. That must have been a cool thing, though. Yeah. Oh, my God, and to know that this thing wasn't over and that people did actually care, you know, and, and to go from absolutely having absolutely nothing to, you know, almost $40,000, you know, in one week just, you know, because of the push that that these people, you know, they, they wanted to spend their money with us. They wanted the record, you know, from the radio play that we, that we had. Right, approved. that's what I was going to say. Was, that, was, that was from the – fans you amassed from Universal when you were getting that play, the the radio play? Exactly. Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's exactly what it was. Yeah. So wow. I, I will always say that I, I'm thankful. 
of all the record labels out there that, that you know, I, I've talked so much smack about, Universal did me very well. And they, they let me go. They did not try to hold me and, and shelf me or they treated me fairly. And, and they really did line me up for the career path that I was going to take. That's cool. And you know what, Chris? I mean, when I was reading that you were able to walk away with your master's, I was like, you know, just, again, from all of my own homework and, and learning a lot from doing over 200 interviews now with mo- most of the musicians, it's like most of them would never let people walk away. I mean, my understanding is they own, you know, the labels usually yeah. own your master's and they have control. And when I read that, I was like, that is just, that's amazing that, that you were able to do that. We, we were signed by Monty Lippitt at Universal. So he was the president. So, you know, when when they let us go, he he was good enough of a person to let us go with the Masters. You know, and it was it was just, you know, you don't really see acts of kindness very often from a major label, but that was a huge act of kindness from those guys, and I and I'm I'm still to this day appreciative of them for that. Definitely. Definitely, no, that's great. That's great. Well, let's do this because I want to definitely fit a couple of songs in. Let's um, let's go to talk a little bit about your single "Break Me," which is currently, you know, all over the place, and it's a, it's an amazing track. So tell us a little bit about that song, and then we'll we'll check that out, and then we'll come back and start getting more into, uh, you know, your current album. Uh, "Break Me" is a song about human conditions of how we all eventually feel the same things whether it be love, hate, pain, hope, helplessness, we all end up broken at some point in our lifetime, and we all need a little help along the way, picking up the pieces of ourselves that they get left behind and putting them back together. That's what the song as a whole is about. Yeah, it's cool. And, I mean, something, again, to compliment you on, Chris, is just your style. You know, stylistically, you really write in a way that it's very you know, open to interpretation and people can really apply the music and your lyrics to their, their own lives. It's not just written by, about one specific thing. And I, I think that's really cool. And that's something that's, you know, I think that's also challenging to do sometimes. So it's, it's definitely something you have a knack for doing. Thank you. Uh, I, you know, some people will ask me sometimes what, what a song's about. And I will say, well, what's it, what's it about to you? Mm-hmm. You know, because I want people to apply it to whatever, whatever it is they're going through more so than than whatever it was that I was going through at the time that I wrote the song. Right. Right. Cool. Okay, well, let me do this. I'll put you on hold, and we'll uh, take a listen to the song, and then we'll come back. All right? All right. Okay, hold on. All right, everyone. Again, Chris Brown from One Less Reason. We're going to check out the hit single, Break Me, which is off of their sixth studio album titled The Memories Uninvited. So definitely pick up a copy of the album. It is absolutely phenomenal and uh this is just one of many songs that i know you will thoroughly enjoy so here we go break me check it out and we'll be back in a moment
All right, everyone, welcome back to the Carrie Edelman Show. Again, Break Me from One Less Reason off of their new album, The Memories Uninvited, which is out now. So please check it out. Pick up a copy of it today. It's phenomenal. All right, let's bring Chris back on. Very, very cool song, Chris. Love it. Very cool. Thank you. Yeah, great stuff. So let's uh, let's talk a little bit about some of the band members. I know that it looks like over the years you've had a lot of people probably come and go because when I was doing my research, I was having a very challenging time finding <laughs> like who's currently in the band, who used to be in the band. Um, it looks like Blake, right? Blake Heimbach, uh, he's the bassist. Yeah. Okay. So he was the main person I could uh, that I could find. So if you want to at least just plug the rest of your band members. Um, we have Blake Heimbeck on bass. He's also the guy who uh, directed, um, him and John Falls directed the Break Me video. Right. Um, Very cool. Then we have uh, Cody Landers on guitar. Um, we call him Ingrid Malmstein because he he looks like a mixture of Ingrid Michelson and Ingrid Malmstein. Okay. Uh, okay. <laughs> Um, we have Chris Johnson on guitar, who was a top 20 finalist on American Idol last year. Oh, cool. So he's quite the singer. They called him CJ or whatever. Um, we have uh, Grant Brooks on drums. We call him Lil Bucky. Um, and Leo Goff is our, uh, does all the samples and, and all the live DJing stuff. He's actually nice. uh engineer for... Uh, He's, a, he's an engineer for really large hip-hop and rap acts like Yo Gotti and whatnot. Wow, very cool. All right. So definitely definitely a solid season to line up there that you have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Um, all right, so let's uh, so talk a little bit about, I guess, the new album, The Memories Uninvited. It's Like I said, it's, it's a great album. You definitely had a time span right in between that and the, and the prior album, which was Faces and Four Letter Words. So tell us a little bit about that, that five-year break, so to speak. And I'm sure it wasn't just, you know, a five-year break like you were doing nothing, but, you know, you really put your time and effort into making this album what it is. And my understanding when you started, it was kind of like you were writing a couple of songs and then before you knew it, it was kind of spiraling into something you maybe didn't anticipate. Yeah, we actually, I actually put out an EP uh, called A Blueprint for Writhing in 2011, okay. which actually has oh, a song okay. Uneasy on it. And Uneasy was probably my biggest selling song to date. Um, wow. So it hosted that song, which really, you know, the, the record kind of, it kind of just got lost in the mix because I was so, I was having my first child. You know, mm-hmm. starting a family, and I had been on the road for, you know, eight years or whatever it had been. You know, and I was, I, if you want to know the truth, I was burned out. I was right. 100% burned out. And so um, I kind of just went on hiatus, and I enjoyed being a dad. Uh, my first daughter was born in 2012. And then um, my second daughter was born in 2014. Okay. Um, you know, and uh, I've just, you know, I just, I took time for myself. I, you know, it was just one of those things where I had been pretty much alone for so long because music was what is what I was married to. You know, right. that, that was my that was my family. Those people that 
that I would see at the shows, those were my family. That, that was, you know, it was me and my dad and those, my brother and those people. Anybody who came to the show that, that held that bond of one less reason with me, you know, but that really made for some hard times when it come time to come home and, you know, you know, be by yourself, you know, mm-hmm. you know, you have girlfriends and whatnot, but that's still, that's not family. It's just not the right. same thing. And, um, you know, for the first time in my life, I really had, you know, instead of one less reason, I had a whole lot of reasons to be here. You know, mm-hmm. I had, I, you know, had my wife and my children and I really was learning. I was learning how to settle into being a part of a family and being part of like my family. You know, this is, this is my family. This is the way I want to do things. This is, you know, this is my, my thing to, 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 to sculpt and, and nourish and, and to make it mm-hmm. as good as, the, as I can. So that was a uh, time went. And then. And were um, you, Chris, were was, you, you know, when you were, you know, building your family and, and being there for your family, were you working or were you producing? What were you doing, you know, in the interim before you started to really get back into doing music full time? I mean, I'm, I'm always producing always and writing records. Okay. Either for either for myself or, or another band. I mean, that's just my outlet. Okay. I mean, that that's a, that's the equivalent to breathing for me. You know, okay. I mean, I'm always doing, I'm always producing and writing and recording, but I wasn't doing it for myself this time. You know, okay. and 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 truth be told, I mean that that's also kind of a lie because I put out a, a I put out a um, solo record, a completely side project. You know, once my daughter was born, my first daughter, the, the record's called Giuseppe Moses and the Vegetarian. And, uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, and it was some of the happiest songs I've ever written. You know, a lot of times I don't write happy songs. And, right, right. You know, I remember it, seeing that. It really right. was, a thro- it, it was. It was a throwback to the 90s rock. You know, I wanted to write a 90s rock record, and so I did. You know, so it was It was just focusing on something other than one less reason for a while, which was really, really good for me. Because <clears throat> one less reason was all I focused on for so long, and then uh, I started writing. I wrote a song, the song "Betrayed," and I really liked it. And I was like, "Okay, cool. This is definitely a one less reason song." And then okay. I wrote the song "The Lie." When yeah, I wrote that was the lie, great. I, was like, I love that song. Really cool. This song, okay. you know, start saying this kind of has a feel to it. You know what I mean? This this is starting to get a feel to the record. And then I believe the third song that I wrote for the record was "On the Way Down." And once once I finished those three, I was kind of like, okay, this is this has definitely got a, a feel to this record, and um, you know, it just kind of started to take shape. I, I didn't I didn't force anything. I wrote what I wanted to write. Mm-hmm. I uh, I didn't when I didn't want to. You know, I mean, I own my own recording studio, so yeah, we could tell actually us, go and record. That, pull that in a little bit when you um when you open that because didn't you purchase? <laughs> You know, you purchased something I was reading about, the, the Kiva Recording Studios or the House of Blues in, in yeah, Tennessee. Yeah, Kiva, House of Blues. Kiva, yep. okay. Yep, and here's the funny thing about it. You know, we talked about Matchbox 20, Yourself or Someone Like You. Mm-hmm. Well, that record was made. That record was made in that studio. So Wow. Uh, chances come up for me to buy, this, to buy the studio that the record that we spoke about earlier that, you know, I was to at work that changed my life was recorded there. And when it, it wow. changed, I took, you know, uh, and, and people, you know, we say studio, but it's actually four studios in one building. So, you know, 
we, we, we could we could be recording in Studio A while there's somebody else in Studio B and producing something in Studio C. So, you know, and it really, you know, it, it was kind of cool because to be surrounded in music like that is, you know, especially when you're happy to be surrounded in music and have music everywhere all the time. It's just for a musician, or at least for me, right. it's, the best feeling, it's the best feeling in the world. That's cool. Yeah, and what's what's the name of the um, studio? Is it Tattooed Millionaire, or that's the that's the label? Yeah, well, we actually just call it TMR Studios, just because okay. I mean, it's just Tattooed Millionaire Record Studios. So, okay. or we call it TME Studios, because I mean, it's it's really not open to the public. Um, oh, okay. It's just pretty much it's pretty much just for people who people that we want to work with and people that are actually on labels to come in and record. And record, you know, and you know, Stevie Ray Vaughan recorded his records there. And there's just so many. When you walked into the building, it just felt like music, you know. It just felt you could feel the the history there. And and I feel that when I feel that when I listen to this record, I do. I feel I feel those records and those artists whenever I listen to this record because there's something there's something special about it, you know. And you know, I don't say that like oh, I'm patting myself on the back, you know, because truth be told. You know, I whether I put out another record or didn't put out another record, that made me no difference. Mm-hmm. You know, but I just felt like there was really something special about this one, and I don't know if it was just the timing and the building and the the atmosphere and the you know you know what I mean. It was just yeah. it was almost yeah. kind of magical. The recording process was kind of magical in the way that it came together. That's cool. That's cool. Well, I mean, yeah, when I mean, and actually Ed had reached out to me from No Problem Marketing and he had sent me the information and, you know, I'll be honest, you know, I, I, your name sounded familiar, the band name sounded familiar, but it wasn't something I was totally like, all right, you know, I know who these guys are, but right away when I, when I clicked on break me, I was like, oh wow, this stuff is great. And so, you know, your album was just, you know, something that was just right away. I was totally hooked on this stuff and I was like, these guys are awesome. So yeah, I said to Ed right away, bring them on. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's, it's and, a killer album. I, I wanted to write a great record. I don't really care about singles anymore. You know what I mean? Right. When you're signed to a label or whatever, they're like, oh, singles and singles and singles and blah, 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 blah. I just wanted to make a record that felt good from the beginning to the end mm-hmm. and, and, and told a story and, and, you know, really was something that I felt special about. It, it, it just has a good feel all the way through. It flows and it's just, Listening to the record makes me happy, so that's, that's cool. really the that's cool, and that's really what's that's what matters, you know. I mean, you did real sure. quick to pull in too. I mean, you did a great job. You produced it, correct? And then mm-hmm. yes, Randy Staub had mixed it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Randy Staub, uh, Alex Prado engineered it. Okay. Um, who you know, he's uh, he works with Dan Corniff, who you know Pierce the Veil, and you know a ton of oh, other wow. art fans that are out there. You know, okay. I brought Alex in. I brought Alex in to, to engineer it for me. So we we re-recorded this record. We demoed it like eight or nine times before we. Yeah, I was reading. That was crazy. To record it. Yeah, right? well, you know, I changed I changed my mind a lot. I go, you know, I love that. I love that. No, I hate it. God, I hate that. What was I thinking? You know, right. Like, but when do you? you know, and I'm asking, I'm asking you this because it's my own personal issue, and I'm a perfectionist, and and I do do some music on the side again, not at the level you do. But the problem with me is the people I've worked with said if we keep working on this, you are never going to get this done, and you will never get out the door. So when do you say to yourself, you know, enough is enough, and if I change it too much, I actually might 
change it, not for the worst, but you know what I'm saying. You, you might just go yeah. a little too far and say, oh, I probably should have just left it the way it was. So I just want to hear your perspective on that. Well, John Lennon said it best. He said, okay. you, never fin- you never finish a record, you abandon a record. At some point, you just have to abandon it and walk away and hope that it's good enough. Okay. And that's, okay. You know, that's true. So when do you know for yourself? You know, you're recording, like you said, re-recording eight or nine times, except for your vocals, right? Is it true that you will leave usually your first yeah. cut? All right. Uh, unless unless the song actually does a drastic change okay. of like, okay, well, we're going to rewrite that whole bridge. Right. Now, that that's different, but yes, for the most part, I like to keep the initial vocal mm-hmm. in place because it's the initial, you know, feeling right. and emotion, emotion. To, to the right. song. Right. Yeah. All right. Cool. Well, I guess whatever you did the eight or nine times, it, it definitely worked in your favor. So <laughs> you can pat yourself <laughs> on the back for that. But, um, yeah. so yes, I mean, personally, just some of this, my favorite tracks off the album were, and I want to play another one tonight. Um, of course, Break Me is great. Um, Something Beautiful, Sometimes is Awesome. Tra- the Trade is great. Of course, On the Way Down, The Lie I Mentioned, I like too. So, but one of the ones, I don't know, for whatever reason, when I was, you know, initially listening to it the first time through, I mean, Something Beautiful really struck a chord for me. So that was the one I wanted to personally choose tonight, even though I had a really hard time with all the other ones I, I listed that I'd like to play all those too. But um, yeah, tell us a little bit about uh, Something Beautiful. You know, where were you when you wrote that one or what is the, you know, what's the premise behind that song? Something Beautiful is about taking tragedy and wh- whatever it might be, losing a loved one or or anything anything that strikes you, and, you know, that, that hurts you along the way. And turning it into a positive, mm-hmm. you know, uh, uh, it brings to mind my, my friend Gretchen, you know, she she recently lost, um, you know, by accident, you know, from a, an accident with a pool, she lost one of her, her daughters, a, a, oh, young, a young, exactly, and my, and my heart was, is, is still just like so broken for her. And not, not not I'm not saying that she's you know, she's moved on from it or anything like that, but she's taken that, and now you know she she because of her and her and the way she she pushes forward with mm-hmm. like God, you know pretty much you know saying okay you know, raising awareness to to your surroundings and like with with pools and this and that I have right. a you know I now, I now have a baby fence around my pool because mm-hmm. of the awareness. And the tragedy that, that that she went through, and that you know she she she's steadfast, and you know you got to do this, and you got to make sure that that's going on, you know. And, and she she has taken this tragic thing, and who's to say that because of that tragedy and her and her turning it into a positive to raise awareness to other people that it hasn't saved one of my children, you know what I mean? Right. So, right. It kind of it kind of has that feel to it. And that's what the song is kind of about. It's about it's about taking something that pretty much levels you, mm-hmm. and you know breaks you down to the to your to your core, and maybe through that you save some other people or make something beautiful out of it. You know, in in some other way, you know, taking a tragedy and turning it into a into into something. More bigger than yourself. 
Gotcha. No, I think Right. Yeah. No, it definitely resonates with me, and, and maybe that's why, you know, like I said, that song really, I was really driven to it pretty quickly. So um, I'm sorry to hear about, like you said, what happened with your friend, but hopefully from that, you know, it can lead to other things so that people are more aware. And, uh, yeah. yeah. All right. Well, let's do this. Let's uh, Let's check it out, and then we'll come back and start, you know, wrap, start wrapping things up shortly, talk about upcoming tour that you have and, uh, yeah, some other stuff with the album and things like that. All right? All right. Sounds good. Okay, hold on, Chris. All right, everyone. We're going to check out, as I said, one of my personal favorites off of Chris's and One Less Reason's new album, The Memories Uninvited. This is going to be their track, Something Beautiful. So take a listen, and we'll be back.
once again, Something Beautiful from One Last Reason off of their new album, The Memories Uninvited. So again, pick up a copy of it and be sure to check them out on tour this upcoming fall with Sick Puppies and Through Fire. All right, Chris, love the song. It's so great. Really, really good. Yeah, that's one thing about your music, too. I'll, like, wake up with it in my head sometimes, like, before I'm going to work. I'm like, it's just, it's it's there. It's just, you know, the, the lyrics, the melodies are just so, so catchy and, you know, very, no pun intended, very memorable. <laughs> uh, I see what you did there. Uh, <laughs> so. Well, thank you. We took, a, we took a long time to make this the best we could, you know. So yeah. um, all the reviews so far have turned out really, really well. I don't have any negative reviews yet, but I'm sure there's one. I'm sure there's one guy somewhere who just got it to review who only loves death metal. That's why I think it's right. the biggest piece of crap ever. And, you know, I love haters. Oh, I love haters so much. <laughs> you know, so I'm ready for those. Definitely, definitely. And just, you know, I really like the title of the album, too. I think it's, it's cool in terms of, and again, my own, I have a background in psychology, so you know, and I read a little bit about your interpretation of it, but what is it in terms of in your life? Is it these kind of older memories that are kind of creeping back in, like you would say, maybe kind of more of your unconscious and, and they're not really invited, so to speak, but, but they're kind of coming there and you're kind of telling this story to kind of put these to rest in a way. Um, the memories uninvited are the things that keep you awake at night. Mm-hmm. Keep you tossing and turning in your tossing and turning in your bed going, you know, why did I say that? Or why didn't I say that? Or mm-hmm. I wish I would have told them by, you know, or I wish I would have done this or I wish, why, why did I do that? Man, I looked stupid if I, when I did, you know what I mean? So saying right. everybody's, right. everybody's laying in bed going, God, I am so stupid. Or God, mm-hmm. I would kill for one more chance to, to say this to that person, you know, and that's what the memories uninvited are. They're the things that we can't change. No okay. matter what we do, we can't change those things. They are our past. The, you know, pretty much in the term, you know, pretty much the people who did those things are dead. You know, you're never going to get that chance again. You know, so let it go. Gotcha. You know, gotcha. And that's, that's what it's about. The memories uninvited are the things that you can't change that always creep in and, you know, turn that stress knob up. Definitely. And what was it, you know, what was the moment where that, that title came to you? Because it's such a powerful title and it's just, yeah, it's just really deep. And, you know, how did that even come to you? Did, was it something where you were sitting around one day and said, <laughs> wow, that's it? No. Well, yeah, yes and no. I was having lunch with a friend of mine who is, uh, you know, has ties into psychiatry and whatnot, or is a psychiatrist or whatever. And um, <laughs> okay. he had... He had a, uh, I guess, a former client come up to him and like talk to him and whatnot. And his exact words were, he said, "He's like, man, we got to keep you out of the past, and we got to, we got to keep the memories uninvited at bay." And I remember I listened, and when he said that, it was just like he slapped me out of my chair. You know what I right. mean? Right. Because I was like, yeah. I was like that. That encompasses my whole record, right there. That's cool. That, that's it. And yeah, that's I took it and ran with it. Cool. So yeah, very I'm, cool. It definitely, it definitely uh, 
I'm definitely not brilliant enough to come up with something like that. I had to take it from the co- uh, conversation of a brilliant person. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wouldn't say that. Your music is brilliant. Your writing's brilliant. So I think everyone brings their, you know, their strengths to the table. So whether you perceive it that way or not, that's that's your own, uh, you know, perception. Awesome. But um. Yeah. I'll take it. Yeah, no, but tell us a little bit about, uh, so you got the upcoming tour with a uh, great band, Sick Puppies. I interviewed them actually a couple months ago, and it was a really good interview. And through Fire, I've heard about them too, another really good band. So, yeah, just share a little bit about what your expectations are, what you guys are looking to do with this upcoming tour. Um, We just, we just went to Spokane, Washington, and did a show, which was kind of our first show back, you know, and we do we we do hometown shows, but you know hometown shows are, are just that. You know, people come out, you get to play some new songs for them, and some old songs, and you know you've been with these people so long that they love you no matter what. You know if they're right. their family. You know when you go twenty four hundred miles away, <laughs> you know, and you're doing a show, <laughs> it's a different story. You know, it's a different story. You know you, you <laughs> kind of gotta you really you really you know it's a whole different thing. So we get to go you know do some. You know, do some shows um, and try out some of the new songs, and everything's going really well. So we're confident. You know, we start September. I think we leave out September 16th, mm-hmm. um, and then our, our first show in, in Pennsylvania on the 18th. And nice. uh, you know, we're ready. We're, we're just ready to get out and see some old faces, man. We've been away for a while. Um, this is really a good run for us to get our legs back under us mm-hmm. because uh, you know. We, we fit well with Sick Puppies and Through Fire, I believe. So, you know, they've been out doing it for the last, you know, every year for the last kind of long, you know. So this will be really good for us to get back out there and, you know, get our legs back under us. Because, I mean, this is just the start. You know, I'm already seeing, like, like what's coming next and then next and then next. So this is going to be a really good run for us to, to get out there and, and only have to do, you know, 10 songs or whatever. And you know, put the pedal to the metal for ten songs or so, and uh, yeah, you know, so it's, it's 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 a good place to start. It's a great starting tour for us. Uh, there are great bands to play with, you know. So yeah, we, we can't complain at all. Yeah, no, I think it's great. I think it's great. I think you're going to have a huge impact on the audience. I think they're going to really take to your music. And like you said, it's a really good fit with the two other bands that you guys are going to be touring with. So I think it's a great match. Sure. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, can't wait. So. Yeah. Yeah. So just uh, if you want to plug anything else, Chris, I don't want to, I could keep you on probably for another hour, but I'm not going to do that to you. Um, (laughs) So yeah, it's, I mean, it's been such a pleasure having you on and and please, I would really appreciate it too. If you can promote the link on your Facebook page, because I think people could really learn some cool things about you and the band that they probably won't read elsewhere. Absolutely. For sure. I'll make sure that happens. Definitely. Um, The only thing with that is, you know, I don't like to shamelessly promote, you know, uh, blah, blah, blah. But here it goes. OLRmusic.com. <laughs> and then we're at Facebook.com slash One Less Reason. Um, and then Instagram, OLR Official. And then if you want to follow me on Instagram for whatever reason, it's uh, Christianity with no H. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm yeah. here for. Promote you, so you know. Shameless promote yourself. That's fine. Shameless promotion is fine on this show. But um, yeah, awesome. Chris, I'm really excited to see what's going to come of you guys. I'm, I'm really excited to be introduced to you and your music, and I'll definitely be keeping a lookout for you. And you're always welcome back on the show when you have some new material coming out. 
Awesome. Well, I appreciate it very much. Thank you for your time. Yeah, thank you so much, and have a great night, and uh, great. good luck with the album and the upcoming tour. Thank you. Okay, thanks, Bye. Chris. Take care. Bye. All right, everyone. Again, Chris Brown from One Less Reason. Like I said, check out his album titled The Memories Uninvited, which is out now. And as we saw, we played uh, two songs tonight off of it. Full exclusive hour interviews, really cool interview with him. And he shared some really interesting stuff about his life, about the band, and uh, where they're going. So if for some reason you tuned in late, please um, check out the podcast. Sorry, it's been a long day. (laughs) So, um, yeah, again, thank you so much for everyone who supported the show and continues to tune in. There's over 200 interviews that I've done, so check them out. They're on iTunes. You can download them off my site. They're all for free. And, again, I really do a lot of research and and put an extensive amount of time into my preparation for the interviews to really take you on something different and unique with each artist um, and entertainer that I have on my show. So please follow me at Carrie Edelman, and I will follow you back on Twitter. If you have Facebook, you can uh, befriend me under Carrie Edelman. I have two personal pages. One of them's maxed out, so I love to keep in touch with people that way, too. So find the one that's not and send me a request. And you can also uh, please become a fan of the Carrie Edelman Show on Facebook, and that's where I have all of my upcoming shows and posts, et cetera. So thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in tonight. Um, I will be booking some new interviews coming up for uh, September and onward. So as I said, just go to my social media pages, and that's where you will see the posts. And you can also subscribe to the Blog Talk Radio page, which will give you updates when I have new interviews um, coming up. Thanks, everyone, again, and have a great night. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 